What we do here is go back, 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 back. back. Welcome, welcome to the Hustle Sold Separately. We are a weekly podcast dedicated to all of you, the creators, entrepreneurs, CEOs, innovators, doers, hustlers, people who are really outside of the box, doing things differently, carving, you're carving your own path. You're probably misunderstood. You're probably looked as one of the crazy ones, but um, that's okay because I get you, we get you. Every guest that I bring on the show every week definitely gets you because they are you in some way. Uh, and I really just truly appreciate the constant growth of the podcast. You guys are amazing. Um, uh, we just each week we see the numbers uh, continue to go up, and of course, many of you reach out and you share, and you also connect with a lot of our our guests, which I'm really really grateful for that. Um, you know, for those of you that are a bit newer, I'm Matt Goddessman. It's nice to meet you. It's nice to have you here. Uh, please let us know how we're doing. Let me know you know what your thoughts are. Um, you guys can reach out to me on Instagram at Matt Goddessman. You can find all my other ventures there. If you want to join in the conversation at, uh, you know, HDF Magazine, I say that that's really the cross section of culture and entrepreneurship, um, you know, and creativity. And then, of course, you guys can also follow at Hustle Sold separately on Instagram as well. Please feel free to reach out, Matt at MattGoddessman.com if you want. I'm, I'm here, especially now during some interesting times that we're living in. Uh, you want to reach out, DM me. And you guys know I answer each and every single text, DM, and reply on my wall for the last six, seven years straight going strong. Uh, so you guys know uh, I really, uh, really appreciate community above everything else. We have another really great show. And uh, I'm, I'm stoked about this because we're going to be talking about a, a global issue that's been going on for some time. And I feel like we're really going to be, you know, talking quite a bit about, you know, from a, a source perspective. So, you know, ultimately, we're going to be talking about solving this global waste issue. Um, waste has been a problem for a while. And you hear a lot of the things about green movements and you hear about, you know, the, uh, you know, what we can do better for ecosystems and animal agriculture. There's a lot of different sources of information right now going on all across the world. But at the end of the day, Clearly, there is a waste issue at a multitude of different levels. And in some cases, we're even watching what happens now as, um, you know, we reduce some of our activities and seeing it's, you know, how much pressure we're even putting on this earth. So I, I think it's a very interesting time to also be doing this show. I've got Tom Zaki on. He's the founder and CEO of TerraCycle. And uh, we're going to be ta- we're going to be diving into this issue quite a bit because he's been tackling this for quite a while. And just to cue up his bio, you know, founder and CEO, as I mentioned, of TerraCycle, it's a global leader in the collection and, and repurposing of complex waste streams. Don't worry, we're going to break that all down to you guys. But um, it's operating in 21 countries, working with some of the world's largest brands, retailers and manufacturers to create national platforms to recycle products and packaging that currently go to landfill or incineration. So imagine now, instead of it going there, it actually being repurposed. This would be one of the people, main people behind it. We're going to talk about that as well. Um, it is uh, the lead company in a new circular shopping platform called Loop. So some of you may be familiar with that. Um, Loop enables consumers to shop for some of your favorite brands in durable, reusable packaging. Um, so love the vertical integration there. And then launched in uh, May of that launched in May of 2019. Loop is a, a key step in helping to end the epidemic of waste that is caused by single-use consumption. Uh, and then Tom and, and TerraCycle have received hundreds of social, environmental, and business awards and recognition from a range of organizations, including the United Nations, World Economic Forum, Schwab Foundation, Fortune Magazine, Time Magazine, and the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. And he's also the author of four books because he's got plenty of time right on his hands. <laughs> Revolution in a Bottle, 2009, uh, Outsmart Waste, 2014, Make Garbage Great, 2015, and The Future of Packaging, 2019. Please be sure to go uh, check out those books, especially as I am finding a lot in my journey that um, it's about the type of the, the, the places we can consume the right information and then apply it. So please check out those books. And then Tom created, uh, produced, and started in TerraCycle's reality show. Human Resources, which aired on Pivot from 2014 to 2016 and syndicated more than 20 foreign markets on Amazon and iTunes. So be sure to check that out as well. Tom, thank you. You got a lot going wow. on. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, great to be here. Thanks for having me today. Absolutely. You know, I mentioned you right before the show. Um, first question is always the same. You know, it's like, how did, how did we get here? Because you're tackling a 
huge problem. Yeah. And we are we over the years have seen all the different varying effects from waste and what it's doing to our you know our 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 world what it's doing to our air what it's doing to people what it's doing to disease i mean you're <laughs> you're in it and you're seeing this massive um issue and an initiative that cannot be easy <laughs> so i would love for context purposes you can go as far back but how did how did how did you get so far here and and everything that kind of led up to it and then we'll go from there yeah totally you know so for me, uh, and I think this context is helpful to answer this question. I was I was born uh, uh, back in the early '80s in '82 in Budapest uh, in Hungary, and that's only relevant because back then it was still communist. You know, under the Iron Curtain, which fell uh, seven years later in 1989, and uh, in '86 uh, Chernobyl happened. Uh, you know, big nuclear meltdown in Ukraine, and uh, uh, the borders in Hungary uh, sort of destabilized for about a day or two, and so my parents packed up. And we left. I was four at the time. Effectively, as political refugees, you know, we landed in Germany, then Holland, then Belgium. And then finally, by the time I was seven, uh, landed in Canada, which is, you know, where I feel I grew up. And I mentioned this story and then finally, you know, ended up in in, uh, uh, the U.S. for college, which is where I live today in New Jersey. And I mentioned this story only because I had this transition from communism to the heartland of capitalism and fell in love with everything to do with entrepreneurship. Um, I really believe, you know, business is an incredible, pow- incredibly powerful tool for change and maybe arguably more powerful than anything else, you know, more powerful than disease. And we're going through that right now, you know, uh, than war, than politics. I think, you know, business has the chance to change the world uh, the most and the fastest. And I had this huge turning point, um, you know, in the context of loving entrepreneurship. I remember this uh, uh, in, in my first class at Princeton, you know, Economics 101. The professor gets up on stage. It's the first class, first anything in university. And she asks, what's the purpose of business? And I'm actually just curious. Uh, I'd love to ask you, how would you answer that question? You know, what's the point of business? Uh, for me, it's funny because yeah. they ask that actually in MBA school as well, too. And yeah. I, I think that it's um, to... Uh, serve a very intended market uh, or uh, intentional market, um, solve a problem for them, and be profitable in the process while um, while serving at your highest good. Right now, that wasn't that wasn't necessarily said that way back then, <laughs> and it was interesting yeah. to see how everybody you know was was saying it in the in the class. But isn't like, it interesting, right? Yeah. That I mean, back then, right? This is fifteen. Gosh, maybe almost twenty years ago now. The answer was. Profit for shareholders. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's oh, yeah. the point. Yeah, and you know it's weird. I like listened to it. And I was like, I started. To, I just like put in my head like, take Walmart, right? Walmart has what like two million employees. It serves you know uh, well over a billion people. Consumers it probably has hundreds of millions of people supporting you know its vendors and support community, advertising agencies, you name it. How many of those people really care about profit to shareholders? And it's got to be less than a percent of a percent. Yeah. And so if that's the case, how can the purpose be? profit to shareholders. That's not to say anti-profit. I totally get the value of profit. But it took me on this sort of like journey, you know, uh, academic one that is, was to say, wait a minute, shouldn't the purpose of business be more what you said, which is what it does to, you know, uh, the society or the planet or some stakeholder to make life better. And that's the purpose. And profit is more of an indication of health. In other words, profit is really important, but it's more a measure of are we going to stay alive or are we robust or not robust, you know, like how much food we have in the fridge, let's say, right? And uh, within that context, you know, I, I started thinking about, well, I want to create a business where that puts purpose first and does so at a profit. And then I landed on garbage, to be honest, because I think garbage is one of the most interesting, purposeful topics to solve. You know, it uh, first... Um, Everything in the world one day belongs to the garbage industry. I mean, what industry can say that it will own everything you own one day, with no exception? Right. Um, yet for how big it is, the solutions are really uninspired. It's like burn it or put it in a pile, and some tiny percentage gets recycled. So to me, that's how sort of, you know, and there's many other interesting anomalies in waste. Uh, uh, it's like a raw material we're willing to pay to get rid of. You know, there's all these weirdnesses, economic weirdnesses in it that I thought was like really cool and very purposeful. And, you know, by I ended up leaving school in my sophomore uh, year, my second year to basically dedicate my time to building TerraCycle, which is a effectively a highly innovative uh, waste management company. Um, and uh, man, that was, you know, 17 years ago. And since then, nothing but straight growth and, you know, all sorts of cool things that, you know, uh, you you love in the entrepreneurial journey. You know, I, I, I love everything you were saying. And, and, and by the way, it's interesting to me that uh, 
I have felt that from our generation, because we're only a couple years apart, I feel like uh, our generation um, has taken that, that notion of conscious capitalism and saying like, by the way, you know purpose can be even more profitable than the way, the old ways of it being done. And it's weird that yeah. sometimes it, it takes a little bit of time, like, what do you mean? <laughs> and you're like, literally, you can do the right oh, thing and yeah. technically make even more money from doing the right thing because you're innately caring about the people you are solving a problem for. And when you show people you care and you take their data and their feedback and you continue to keep making something better and better, what do you think happens? They keep, they keep coming oh, back man. to you. It is more. so true. And it's only more true every day in the future. You know, yes. um, it is purpose is sort of like, you know, a traditional sense of this would be like measuring the value of your brand, like brand equity. You know, yes. everyone, you know, said there's a lot of value there, but you don't see it on your P&L uh, or your balance sheet. And uh, purpose, I think, is even more powerful than brand equity. And it's definitely not something that you like put a dollar sign around, but it makes you so much money. It allows you to recruit amazing people, more amazing people uh, yes. uh, 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 who come first for purpose, maybe second for compensation. It allows you to open doors at your partners at levels that were otherwise never openable, getting to the CEOs of large companies that you know, allows the media to want to talk about you all the time uh, and help you succeed. And there's just hundreds of examples where um, you know, that comes to bear and it really drives the bottom line. It can really be seen you know, in your revenue and profit. You know, I uh, had a, co a couple friends on the, the board of conscious capitalism here in Arizona, and um, I, one of them was telling me there was an actual case study done on showing um, the health of an organization and its profitability because of genuinely caring about the employees, better communication, all serving a purpose, um, creating an environment uh, that uh, that fosters both innovation and and um, you know inner you know core inner well being and, and all these other, and then all these other things about how that trickles over also into the clientele and into the customers, and that they were showing like quarter over quarter how much more profitable a lot of the those companies actually were and are so i i think it really war you're absolutely right when it when it comes to purpose and also um a state of being like is going to attract like and i think when people see for what you stand for and what you are trying to solve you get a different retention level of of people who are like listen i i don't mind you being the entrepreneur and you're going to be the leader of it tom but I definitely want to work with you. <laughs> I want to work yeah. underneath you. I want to work for your organization because other people who are like, let me support the cause because you know I'd, I'd rather be a part of the the solution oh. versus leading the solution to be you know to be exact, right? Dude, let me volunteer for it. You yes. know, let me, let me like do up. things that would be unexpected if it was just a pure money making organization. Hmm. And I think this is trending more and more. You know, as the world gets beat up whether it's a global virus, whether it's Australia and Brazil burning down, whether it's you know Japan's nuclear meltdown. I mean, you name it, we are in a moment where the world is not in a good space. And I could just tell by every time I open my news feed, Oof. it is horrible, horrible news right after the other. Um, people want not just to be rich, but they want to contribute to solving all this tremendous negative that we're uh, swimming through. You know, I, I'm glad you bring that up because I think sometimes by accident, money got grouped into the negative category from people who had it that did bad behaviors versus, and then that sometimes overshadows, no, 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 no. Like if you are truly purposeful and able to create great wealth, how much more can you do with it? And where else can you make a dent, you know, in, um, in, in solving problems? So I'm glad you, you, you know, you bring that up, you know, let me ask you this. Do you think Mother Mother Earth is fighting back right now? <laughs> oh, it's so funny um, or interesting that you say that. I want to like preface my answer saying that I have no one in my life, you know, that is directly affected by it, that is uh, suffering. You know, I've, right. you know, we're, I mean, we have a lot of team members and there are some who are infected, uh, but they're, they're doing just fine through. So I haven't had anyone, you know, who's a team member, a colleague, uh, a family uh, friend uh, die from it. You know, both my parents are physicians. They're, you know, in the hospitals today in uh, Toronto, uh, you know, working uh, really hard. But again, just want to preface because I haven't had a personal right. catastrophe uh, or anyone I know. But I would say that this should be a time we should really reflect. Um, yes. And we should reflect on did, you know, not to sort of blame ourselves that, you know, this came out, but could have, you know, uh, did our actions, you know, uh, uh, contribute to something like this occurring? And, you know, as more of a joke, I mean, every outbreak movie starts with us, you know, deforesting the Amazon or something to hurt nature. 
and uh, we un- unleash something unintended. Um, but I think we should also reflect on, you know, do you think the world is better right now that we've slowed down our economy? You know, uh, there's been so many things I've seen on how, you know, climate change is moving in the right direction just now, how, you know, uh, animals are maybe going to places that they've never been before, you know, that the world is probably thankful to get a break from us. And I think we should deeply reflect on that when we get back, because I think the natural inclination when things get back to normal, in quotes, uh, is to try to catch up for all the lost productivity and actually to even accelerate more. You know, I think that'll, you know, let's say June, everyone goes back to normal as a hypothetical date. Um, will we then work through, you know, June to December to try to catch up for everything we lost on uh, March, April, May, um, or whatever the dates are, right? And I would wonder if that's actually the wrong answer. You know, maybe this is a great time to understand how do we balance uh, an economy uh, with the environment? Because today what COVID is showing us, I think, is that the economic growth is directly inverted to uh, environmental sustainability. Mm. Man, all of that was so well put. <laughs> I mean, well, you know, there was a, a, a quote I had put on my wall the other day that I had seen. It was a, a, um, anonymous, but it was, we can't return to normal because the normal that we had was precisely the problem. Right. Um, so right. I, I love the way you, you kind of outlined it of like, let's take this time to reflect of, okay, there are some positive things that are happening from an earth standpoint and from a, uh, from a waste and a pollution standpoint and from uh, um, and uh, an internal standpoint with people as a whole. You know, I saw a funny meme that showed um, um, before COVID and you, you showed like a family of four. They were all on their devices. And like during quarantine, they show them all like outside riding a bicycle together. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like the things that they should have already been doing. I mean, you know, it's not a light situation by any sta- uh, by any any means. It's it's a, it's actually quite a. Um, a substantial one we're all dealing with. Um, so taking that time to understand, you know, what brought it on and how do we, how do we, how do we expand from here moving forward and think about, you know, our activities and our actions on the environment, on the economy, on a lot of different things. So I think what you said is, is very well put. Well, and just to build on it, I don't think it's all positive, right? I think right. that generally, um, you know, climate change, for example, is getting is going in the right direction while we stop flying and stop traveling and our economy slows down. But for example, waste, I think, is actually going in the wrong direction. And mm. uh, it's the case because we are consuming during this time way more disposable products where mm. if we're uh, patronizing a uh, restaurant, we're eating out, which means it's all coming to us in disposable packaging, not reusable cutlery like we'd have if we ate in. Um, uh, we are consuming way more disposable goods altogether. And recycling, which has been dying uh, or uh, doing badly uh, uh, you know, over the past 10 years and decreasing, is accelerating that because the macroeconomic, let's say, uh, equations that rule recycling are getting even worse faster because of COVID. So I think we would wake up at the end of this and you know, generally a lot of environmental topics will have benefited from the break, but uh, waste I think will have gone even worse in the wrong direction. You know, you bring up a really good point that, and I, I think I heard this the other night, um, it would be interesting to look at the data after all this is said and done because the data will really give where were their where were their positives and where can we do better? Um, because you know you know you just like the things I never would have thought of recycling up, waste is up. <laughs> you know at the same time yeah. like so you're you're seeing this um, paradigm or, or paradoxical kind of uh, play on, on some things of um, because we've had to shift our behaviors. Where does that um, reverse some of the things that have been good? And then where does it expand other areas that were needed? And how do we have that balance? And the data afterwards, it's going to be interesting to look at that. Well, it's going to be neat because we have this sort of ability to see a new world for a moment. And we're going to get back to the original, but maybe we can learn from this sort of new world we're living in right now. And it could be even things that have nothing to do with the environment, like do we need to travel to every meeting because, you know, look at how effective video conferencing can be or, you know, different perspectives on patterns that we're experimenting with now. Are you seeing... um, are you seeing a growing state of awareness overall because of, uh, I mean, it was happening, I'm sure. Actually, let me, let me, let me, let me re- retract it for a second. Were you seeing before the, the current uh, crisis we're in, were you seeing a change in behavior of, of many, you know, in a, in a state of awareness of many buyers as a whole, like going up? And has that accelerated during these times? Interesting. Yeah. So I would say, yeah, yes. I mean, the, the, for, the question to the former is for sure. Uh, people have been waking up brilliantly 
to the state of the environment we're in. And I'd say that if you look at the data, that really began in early 2018. Many things could have caused it, the viral sensation around, you know, a turtle having a straw up its nose, all the way to Sir David Attenborough's Blue Planet 2, you know, there's all sorts of things you could say broke the camel's back on this. But um, the world really woke up to the state of the environment, I'd say, in a meaningful way uh, about two years ago and change. Uh, Greta, you know, emerged during that time, and we've seen so much uh, public outcry of people that typically wouldn't have uh, been as engaged. And that's led to lawmakers passing new legislation in the right direction. Europe now looking at the Green New Deal, you know, noting it failed here, but but nevertheless, you know, took some uh, might up uh, in, in the EU. Um, you know, corporate actors, especially global corporate actors, really taking these topics seriously, like lots of good stuff in the right direction over the past two and change years. Now, what I would say from a COVID point of view is people have now shifted a lot of that mental capacity to care about the environment to fear and worry within their, you know, sort of family unit and nucleus. And I totally get why. I mean, it makes all the sense in the world. But I think that we have, we're putting sort of the environmental, you know, the extinction revolution, all of that on pause right now, while we're worried for our own health and safety. What I think will be really, really interesting is what happens when we come back and mm. can we pick up where we left off? Because I do think that the environmental, uh, you know, movement is on pause, let's say during this time. Well, and, you know, and um, speaking as, yeah, I'm gonna see if I can try to relay this. I mean, speaking as somebody, I've been doing, you know, so much inner work for the past, you know, eight to 10 years that um, everything is about this level of balance to achieve some sort of level of balance. And I feel like, Learning how to that in any kind of um, uh, whether crises or boom, like an, an, economic, an economic or just a, an overall positive boom, maintaining a level of balance where all things are considered to to make sure that we don't um, we don't diminish the very efforts that our, our work had had put in previously right you know yeah. and so it's a it is a delicate balance because of course more than anything people you know i i and i i understand it i get it you know fearing for your life is like it, you know it's like no one's gonna say you're gonna put you know i'm gonna put anything before my life and it's like absolutely and it's a tough it's a tough a tough delicate balance because some of the very things that we still need to rely on such as you know environmental factors which actually do contribute to the health as well moving forward as we get through this. So it's, it's a very, there's a, it's just a delicate balance all the way around. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, look, right now I get it. You know, people are, you know, in this sort of panic and let's, that's okay. You know, that's, it's not necessarily about what we're going to do during this COVID time. Let's right. get through that. Right. Uh, but it's going to go away. And the real question will be, how do we reflect and learn from it? It would be a shame if we learn nothing and change nothing. You know, uh, uh, the real, in any failure, and I believe this deeply in something this big, but also in entrepreneurship, it's totally cool to fail. Uh, and that's all right. Um, the shame is doing it twice, yes. right? And that's when you haven't learned the lesson. And the bigger the failure, it's just the more expensive the education, right? So I many times, I mean, TerraCycle on our end, you know, is a very different sort of example. I mean, I, I, we, we lost $15 million before we became profitable. I view that as a $15 million NBA. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it was a really good one. And thank you to my investors for funding it. Um, but, you know, now we're in a great spot. Now, had I not learned from that, we'd still be losing money and then shame on me, right? Um, but I think the same thing goes in something as global and big as this. People are losing their lives. We are, you know, it's a significantly bigger investment. And let I really hope that we honor all of that pain and suffering, not just, you know, death, but, you know, all the energy and time, you know, people are, uh, are you know, to cope with this by um, becoming better on the outside when we emerge from it. I think it was great how you put that too, um, because I think people sometimes, whether in uh, whether they taking the leap into entrepreneurship or just in general into creating something, or even in their lives, they're afraid of making mistakes. And no, 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 mistakes are very much a part of the part of the process, and it's okay. Yeah. It is okay to make mistakes. Like in fact, you know, to be able to make it, own it, and work through it is like just honorable and respectful. And to or, your point, and dude, if you're not making mistakes, you're not innovating. 
that's absolutely true. And, you know, and, and I have fun telling people, I'm like, the mistakes are what give you the data to make the next choice, to make the next decision. Oh, to your yes. point, <laughs> making the same exact choice that got you in trouble in the first place, now we need to sit down and talk. <laughs> you know? Yes, exactly. You know, why, right. why exactly the pattern, right? right? I mean, that's, that's it. It's sort of like, you know, I mean, not in everything, but wouldn't it be amazing if like criminal justice, everything, you, you got a strike on it before you actually got, you know, like obviously within limits of reasonableness, but right. imagine if every sort of, you know, small sort of blunder, you got a strike before you got the penalty, right? So you could learn and have a chance. It's the second time you do it, you know, not okay. Um, again, with certain limits, like you know, certain things would always be off, off you know, off, off limits. But um, I mean, that's the thing. Like one of the sort of fun. I have this laugh because you know we have a, you know we get a lot of press on TerraCycle, and you know because of that, do a lot of interviews, and it, it always sort of annoys me when someone you know who's asking the questions, like a journalist says. Well, what's the biggest mistake you've ever made? And I always struggle with that question because it's like, what, you mean today, yesterday, yeah, right. <laughs> past week? Like, there's so many mistakes, it's hard to, like, pick one. Um, uh, and so what What a bogus question, you know, to ask. Oh, yeah. Oh, I also, uh, you know, um, yeah, I always love the ones, uh, where do you see yourself in five years? Like, can I tell you the day before? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> before yeah, totally. the five-year exactly. mark? Exactly. Like, what do you mean? Yeah. I'm like, well, things changing daily around here. Yeah. <laughs> I'd know? say, like, more awesome than you meet me now. You yeah, know? right? Uh, I would hope an yeah. uh, expand, uh, expanded version yeah. of where we're at. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And, oh, my God. Yeah, it's so true. But it's those can I mean, that is the quintessential, you know, if you haven't prepared to interview an entrepreneur, it would be, how did you start? What was your biggest lesson? What was your biggest mistake? You know, where do you want to be in five, ten years? Those are your, like, five canned answers of no preparation. Oh, yeah. Well, and, and it's funny because uh, I think I told you before that we started yeah. the show how uh, I was like, this is just a very um, conversational podcast. And I've, yeah. I literally used to have PR uh, that would reach out. And if there are any PR people reaching, please do not ask what the interview questions are going to be before because there uh, are horrible. none. <laughs> there are none. I always tell the PR people, they freak out. They're like, what do you mean? I'm like, we're going to actually have a very adult conversation. And, you know, we're going to be very present. And we're going to we're gonna give each other our time and, uh, you know, talk through a lot of really great topics. <laughs> yeah. So. No, that's right. I mean, uh, yeah. you know, I couldn't, couldn't agree with you more. I mean, usually the joke is to the other side is if uh, I'm not interested in the particular you know, interview, I'm going to ask for the questions simply so someone else can answer them and uh, send it back. So yeah. if you're a journalist and you have someone say, send me the questions, also code for, you know, don't, you know, there's not a high level of engagement from the other side. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's okay. Most, you know, most of the time, you know, and you know, you, as you can see with this podcast, it usually comes through really great recommendations. Uh, past guests, as you know, some past yeah. guests just like, love, we're just loving on you. And they're like, you gotta, you gotta talk to Tom. You gotta talk to Tom. I'm like, let's bring him on. <laughs> so, yeah, totally. you know, um, so, uh, you know, I, I never do the political thing on here because yeah. it's, I just, you know, look, it's, it's not really about politics. I, I think it's more about solutions and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you you know it's good to hear some of the the results that you were you were mentioning with when it comes to the environment are we are we in okay shape are are, like constantly good things keep happening the only reason why i ask is because sometimes the news is showing all kinds of different scary i mean look there's some scary things in the news um and i just again like i never i I just i just don't go there on on a political standpoint but talking to a source provider such as you and TerraCycle, are there some really good things happening out there right now uh amongst organizations and globally within you know waste and pollution and, and this problem sure so if you ask if the question you know if i distill it to you know are things getting way worse and are there good things happening the answer is yes to both um and if so you know what i mean by that and i'll just focus on the topic of waste because that's my core expertise is that the the population of consumption you know people who are in the consumer class which is really like the middle uh, and upper class of society you know people who live in extreme poverty are not consumers but everyone else that population is growing tremendously and doing you know the traditional type of consuming which is not that great for the environment Um, with that said so that that sector is exploding and in in parallel the amount of amazing innovation around things you would call like the circular economy or regenerative business, whatever the synonym you know, that we use is, is also growing. But the problem is the bad is growing really fast while the good is growing. So the pie is getting bigger. And even though the sustainability aspect you would see, if you just zoom in on that, you're like, oh, my God, it's growing. It's amazing. So much cool innovation. The, the, the overall uh, destruction is growing even faster. And so it's so important to, to understand that, like, you know, while maybe the past hundred years we were all about human struggle, whether it was the civil rights movement, whether it was two great global wars and many other such things, the Great Depression, these are all human sort of ideas that we struggled through in meaningful ways. 
that this uh, hundred years we're in now is entirely planetary. Um, and uh, you know, you ask like, is the virus linked to the environment? It probably is in some in some way. I'm just not a physician or an expert or know. Right. But um, you know, the all the major things we've gone through. You know, uh, Australia uh, burning down. You know, Brazil. Uh, you know, so the Amazon and forest fires. Uh, California. You know, uh, uh, that's just fire. You know, you got the waste crisis. You have climate change. I mean, so much things. They're all environmental, and I think it's only going to accelerate. Uh, and only going to get worse uh, faster uh, before it potentially uh, gets better. So that's sort of doom and gloomy sounding. But, and where's the but in all of this? I think that there is a lot of innovation coming and we can absolutely innovate out of uh, where we are now. And the most important actor in all of this is the one that's the most unconscious of being the important actor, which is the individual. You know, in a lot of this, uh, I always hear the, you know, people say, oh, it's the big companies, the governments, you know, that uh, really need to change. Um, uh, and that we individuals are completely powerless. The irony of that is I think actually all of the power is in the hand of the individual. Yes. And the reason I say that is that, you know, we vote for the future we want every day, multiple times a day. Yes. Not with our political vote as much, but with what we buy. And that is the most absolutely powerful vote we can cast because companies are not in the business of selling us what we don't want. That's so hard and impractical and frankly stupid. What companies are in the business of doing is figuring out what we want and getting it to us in the most convenient, uh, uh, amazing, and affordable way possible. And if they do that right, they win our dollar. And the real geniuses out there are the ones that predict what we want that we don't yet know we want. Uh, 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 and that would be sort of what you'd call innovation. But it's all about filling our desires. And you know, one of the things I love doing you know, when I travel, for example, is go into a supermarket. And I love doing that because when you go into a supermarket of a country, it's beautifully anthropological because you can see exactly the desires of that nation by looking at what's on shelf and how much of that is on shelf. And suddenly you understand the culture. Um, uh, and so we need to take that vote seriously because we, you know, we are voting over and over and again for the future we want and not un realizing we're doing so. It would be like equivalent to going to vote for a political vote. And I asked you, like, hey, dude, did you vote? And you'd say, yeah. And I'd say, well, who did you vote for? And you say, oh, I never checked. I just did the act of voting. And it's like, well, that's, you know, it would be very uninspired. But that's what we're doing constantly with the actual more powerful vote, which is the economic one. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's not about necessarily knowing the ins and outs of every product and what harm they cause. Just realize every act of consumption causes harm. The, and every environmental issue in the world is linked to the act of buying something. So the best thing to do is not buy. And then if you do buy, you know, buy things that uh, uh, are going to cause the least amount of harm versus the most amount of harm. And there's, it's pretty intuitive to figure that out when you just look at something just thinking about that. There's, I was taking some notes. There's some, there's so many, so many good things. Again, there are so many good things that you were saying in there. Um, interesting. Uh, you're absolutely right. When you go to these different uh, regions, well, I was going to say first different areas to see what's on the shelves, and then even regionally within some of those areas, like different parts oh, yeah. of town, how you can see some of the products start to change as well too. But I like that you said that, and and that's exactly why I don't bring up from a political standpoint because really it all actually does happen at the individual level because even if you're hoping that a potential you know political leader can can lead you out of something at the end of the day it is going to come down to your individual daily choices and i love that you said that you know you're voting on your future pretty much every single day based on the choices that you are making and if it's interesting that you're absolutely right that um companies are basically saying listen i see that this is what you desire my goal as a company is to provide you with what you desire so if our choices are changing daily as our desires are also shifting more towards very consciously, you know, conscious decision making and better and better choices, commerce will change and they will provide those level of products. And so we really actually do have the power to change the entire dynamic based off of our own individual choices. And then, you, of course, you get some people say, well, I'm just one person. Like, yeah, but if there's millions of you saying I'm just one person and you're all making consciously making that choice daily and you can imagine that, that that's actually happening daily, then commerce itself will actually have to change. It'll have no, you know, it'll have no, um, no choice. And the beautiful part is some of those very same companies that, yeah, maybe currently they're, they're dealing a lot of crap. Um, they too are in a position to be like, no, this is actually the new desires of the of the audience, yeah. and this is what we can actually deliver. And if this is what they want, and we have the power to do so, all right, pivot. 
Well, there you go. And here's the thing. None of the people, you know, and we work with everyone. We even work with industries you wouldn't expect us to work with, like big tobacco, you know, uh, uh, big oil, you know, all these companies. They're all filled with good people, like good human beings. You know, you rarely run, a, run across someone who is like fundamentally not a good person. They're so rare. Um, they're just set up to fulfill desires, right? And yes. while people smoke, big tobacco will exist. But here's an interesting study. We were, uh, for one of the books uh, that I was writing, we sort of did a little bit of an introspection to say, how long would it take to kill an industry if everyone stopped buying that product? Whatever it may be, let's call it mm. chewing gum. It takes six weeks. Wow. That's it. Because what would happen? If everyone stopped buying, say, chewing gum today, right? Um, retailers would quickly delist the gum. They just wouldn't sell it anymore. Once that's done, it's a death nail and you're finished. I mean, there's not, it wouldn't take long. It would take about, like I said, six weeks. If everyone stopped buying an object for that object to cease existing, the factories to shutter and it just to be gone as a concept. And concepts can go away, you know? I mean, horse and carriages don't exist that much anymore, right. you know, the, uh, and so on and so on. VHS tapes and Blockbuster, I mean, things can very quickly evaporate. We just have to stop uh, 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 voting for them. And that is incredibly powerful. Uh, powerful and scales, right? And remember, politics, as you said, or anything else, it's just populism. It's just whatever the popular goals. Are. I mean, why did the straw get outlawed in a bunch of countries or you know, and uh, regions like Seattle outlawed, you know, the use of straws? Um, it's just because everyone got you know really vocal and pissed off about a straw, right? Is the straw really the thing that's polluting our planet? Not at all. But it became a symbol that everyone rallied across, and popular uh, consensus equals laws coming and interventions. Um, but it has to all be driven down at that individual level. And our job as individuals is not just to make, you know, first let's edit how we ourselves uh, vote, which is how we ourselves consume. Right. Then let's make that cool so people want to emulate us. Uh, and that's how you begin a movement. Change starts with the individual. Always. It always has. Well, you know, totally. and it's interesting uh, when you say um, six weeks. And, and, and it, interestingly enough, if anybody wanted to really test that, we're seeing it right now because we're seeing uh, a lot of different um, businesses which are, you know, they're in a place of like, oh, oh, shit, like I don't want to be wiped out um, right now. And so that's why there's this kind of weird, you know, energy imbalance of like, how do we sustain? What do we need to do? What's happening? You know, because of um, because of it not being consumed, because of a shift in the dynamic of what what's trying to what's happening with people having to be home and 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 shift their behaviors and all that stuff. So we we're actually witnessing in real time what can happen and be wiped out. Now, obviously, you know, a lot of it can return to normal after we're we're through this, but we're able to see what can happen when people do make different choices in real yep. time. Well, and there's another thing to now thinking not about the individual, but now, you know, shifting over to the entrepreneur or the business, right? One of the things that I've realized in, you know, being in the sustainability movement for call it, you know, almost two decades is that one of the challenges is there's two challenges sustainability has in catching the real public, you know, the mass mind. Uh, and this is where I think we saw some breakthrough in the past two years, especially in the topic of waste and like ocean plastic and those things. And it's, it's two very different things. One is the sustainability movement tends to thrive in complex communication. You know, uh, it's like listening to, you know, NPR doing a 10-part series on the complexities and the nuances of climate change. And what we really need to do is not communicate like that because no one tunes in and instead communicate like Fox News, which says climate change doesn't exist because the senator took a snowball onto the Senate floor, Right. Um, and cut things in like clear, emotional black and white, right? And uh, really, yeah, I know we lose a lot of the gray and the subtlety, which is important, but we capture the hearts and minds of the masses if we do it that way. And that's what I think, you know, communication channels like Fox News have done brilliantly is simplify the communications in a way that captures the heart and minds of the masses. Um, and I'm not necessarily saying they do it for, for benevolent, but um, uh, that's something the environmental and sustainability movement really needs to, to uh, honor and learn. The other, very unrelated, is meeting people where they are, mm -hmm. not being too aspirational, where you read about it you know, in a magazine, then say, oh, wouldn't I love my life to be in a tiny house, but then don't bother actually executing on it. <laughs> um, uh, we really need to meet people where they are. And we noticed this in a new platform we launched, Loop, which is all about reuse, uh, that uh, people still fundamentally, you know, when they buy things, focus on price, performance, and convenience, not one of those things being sustainability. And for us to really get mass appeal, we have to play into that versus try to change those basic goals. 
right? Um, and I think that is a good recipe that I've, you know, painfully learned, uh, uh, you know, uh, to be able to take these conscious movements and get them to really be for the average person out there. Yeah, great segue, because I wanted to learn more about Loop, like how that, you know, how that initiative got started as an extension of the work you were already doing. And, um, and I also, and, I, and just from a, a standpoint of, I love that you're meeting people where they're at versus often at times we cause more resistance when we're saying you need to do this versus how can I take what you're doing, make it better within the thing that you're already consuming and therefore um, you're actually also in a weird way doing your part and you can also feel even better about the product and I'm not really changing any aspect of your life. And then the interesting part of that is that they kind of start to get a little bit more conscious of and go, oh no, 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 well, you know, such and such company does this for me, so I'll, I'll take that. I, so I, I think it's actually a very interesting point you're saying that changing people's behavior is basically creating less barriers for doing the things that they're already doing, just making it better from, um, you know, in your case, an, um, an eco-friendly way, right? But I would love to hear more about like the initiative with Loop. Yeah, no, totally. And I think that's that's been the big learning there. So it's, it's a bit of a background for how this all came to be. You know, TerraCycle is all about our mission is to eliminate the idea of waste. That's why we exist. So, uh, and you could call us a waste management company. And we sort of have three divisions, but each division takes a journey into that that step. So the first division under the TerraCycle brand asks, is that object recyclable? It could be a dirty diaper to a cigarette butt to a toothbrush. And if it isn't recyclable locally, we create systems to make it nationally recyclable. And if you Google TerraCycle, you'll see tons of examples on that. Our second division, also under the TerraCycle brand, is now how to let's integrate waste back into your product to help you make your product from recycled materials, from ocean plastic to festival waste to you name it. Now, that's all about making an object more recyclable and more recycled. Then we asked ourselves, is that actually the solution? And we realized that recycling is more of a solution to the symptom of waste, but not the root cause of waste. And that took an exploration that landed in loop, which is how do we move away from single-use, disposable consumption, which is what we think the root cause of waste is, to multi-use, reusable consumption. And the big learning there was we need to make it feel as disposable as possible because that's what people want. That's the most convenient thing to do, throw a bunch of shit away. And so what Loop is basically is a, a platform for reuse. So consumer product companies, and I'm thrilled that in the first year of its existence, almost all major consumer product companies have joined. I mean, over 100 of the world's biggest, like Pepsi, Coke, Nestle, blah, blah, blah. And they've created amazing reusable versions of their products, like your Haagen-Dazs ice cream now in stainless steel, like your Tide laundry detergent now in stainless steel, all the way to, I mean, all sorts of amazing stuff. And then the world's biggest retailers, now in six countries, are impregnating the Loop offering into their physical stores as well as their online uh, stores. So like in the U.S., that's Kroger and Walgreens doing it online and later this year going in-store. So the basic play is you go to a Kroger or Walgreens, uh, you know, where this is available, and you would find a section of the store, either online or in-store, dedicated to all your favorite brands, but now in beautiful reusable packaging. You buy them like a normal product. You only have, the only extra thing you do is pay a deposit for that amazingly cool package. Um, and then when you're done, there's no sorting, no cleaning, nothing like that. You just throw it out, but you're throwing it into a reuse bin. And if you bought it online, we, uh, you can get it picked up from your home. And if you bought it in store, you drop it back off at a store in a loop bin. And that's it. You get your deposits back and you're done. And then loop is like the waste management function of reuse. We pick up all those dirty use packages. We sort them out, clean them, and then ship them back to the manufacturers uh, who refill them and around it goes again. So it's a reuse system that feels disposable but allows you to act reusable almost unconsciously. And then here's the crazy learning, right? So we launched this thing. Uh, it became the number one sustainability story of 2019. I mean, really amazing momentum on, on it and continues to this day. Um, and I thought everyone would be really into it because it's super eco-friendly. You know, we're moving to reusables. But the learning I've had is that consumers still today consume in let's say more selfish uh, points of view, you know, convenience, affordability, and performance. And the number one p reason people it's started cool using looking. Loop was because the packaging is so yep. badass and cool so looking. amazing. Yep. And I was like, huh, what an uninspired reason to do it, but whatever, if that's what gets people, let's get them. And they still, of course, love that it's reusable, but what gets them first is the most beautiful packaging on the planet today for these products. It, you know, this is genius. I'm on the, and I've been on the site before, and I, but as you're talking about it and going through all the, you know, the enjoy we pick up and refill, it's absolutely genius. And my thinking was, 
it's genius because you're not impinging anything on these brands except for other than helping them. And you're sticking to the psychology of we only care about our, our customers. Are you going to are you going to make another barrier for us? Or are you going to make it even easier for us? And in this case, not only did you make it easier, but you're making it so like it's cooler. And then therefore, the consumer will probably consume more. So you didn't impinge on them. You didn't impinge on the customer because you're like, hey, listen, um, we're not going to do anything different than what you already used to for having your great product, except we might even make it look a little bit cooler. And by the way, it just so happens that it actually is very eco-friendly. So you you've literally been able to solve to right because isn't that always the purpose of like a startup a lot of times the the issue with a lot of startups that i had seen when i worked used to work with a lot of them was that when they were trying to pitch something i'm like you're making the problem harder in a way and that's why there's more resistance from the adaptation of the product and absorption of it you actually made it easier and cooler and so and i'm not surprised because i was looking at like the haagen-dazs bin the tin i'm like that thing looks cool and you're absolutely right um yes i care about um packaging from a standpoint of eco-friendly but yes coming from the more brand side and working with a lot of uh, large uh, brands as well too packaging and branding is everything because that's what attracts the consumer to automatically take it so you're actually solving a problem at a you know with when it comes to like that vanity metric of packaging but an eco-friendly you're you're making it even better than it ever had been and and uh, so and then the name loop just makes perfect sense because you basically got everybody kind of doing their part without being extra work. That's it. I mean, you, you nailed it. Like that was our big thing is that in doing sustainability for 20 years, people aspire to it, but don't sacrifice for it. There you and go. sacrifice isn't just spending more money or it could be sacrificing convenience. It, yes. could, be sac- it could be any form of sacrifice and they're not willing to, but if it, everything else is the Jeez. same or better, and it's more sustainable. Sustainability allows you to switch over. And that may not be the most inspired thing. I mean, it's one of our challenges. You know, A lot of the people who come work at TerraCycle are actually majority female by, by staff. And we have a lot of people coming in super motivated about the cause. And one of the things that we have to teach when people join is to say, look, we love that you're passionate and deeply care about the topics. We do too. But we have to accept the world for what it is today. That's sort of like understanding how the pieces on a, chess bo- on a chessboard move. Now, you may not like that they move this way, but damn well, that is how they move right now today. And it's, if I'm going to play you in a game of chess and I'm going to move the pieces how they move, even though I don't particularly like how they move, but you're going to move the pieces how you think they ought to move, I'm going to win every time. And then when you can start wielding the game and, and create power, then you can maybe, maybe edit the way the chess pieces move. But that's way harder and at least work within the constructs today. And I think this is the entire purpose-driven sustainability movement overall um, uh, is in many cases playing the game of chess, not in how the pieces move, but how they hope they would move. I mean, and, and, uh, and honestly, what I, you're also teaching these, um, team, these tem- team members, these colleagues and these, these employees that like, listen to your point earlier, meet people where they're at. There's resistance because we try to force agendas on them and we're not here to force re- agendas. We're here to give them a greater perspective into something that they're already passionate about. And I think, when you you know when you come at it from that approach, you really can change in mass scale, because you're again you know you're you're so I think it's interesting that just like t- having that conversation with your employees and saying like we're not here to change them through you know forced uh, <laughs> through forced behavior of like you should do it this way because this is better. It's more so of like how do I make your world even better through more sustainable options yeah. and bring you along in this journey while we do our part. We have to do it that way, I think. And then then you get scale. And then once and you, you have scale, scale, you have weight. And when you have weight, you can throw your weight around. And yes. then you can, you, know, you can really play. But you got to get the scale to get the weight. Yeah, it, it, absolutely. That's where leverage comes in. <laughs> you know? That's right. That's so amazing. And so, um, so with Loop, um, what, so, it's, so is it only a year? So a year or two only? Well, so it's three years since idea. Like okay. the t- moment the idea came into our minds. Uh, year, 14 months since we announced it. Uh, and we launched it at the World Economic Forum. Uh, not this one, but the, uh, about 14 months ago. And uh, it was the first live deployment at a retailer was May uh, launching in France. And then also in May, we launched in the U.S. And uh, that was the first time it came to the public. And then, uh, what is it, in a few months, we launch in Canada, UK, Germany, Japan, and Australia are the, all in the next 12 months. So it's, it, it's growing at a feverish pace. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but that's uh, sort of where it is now. But it's still very, very new. So 
like I'm looking at the Hagen Dazs right on <laughs> on loop right now. That's some sexy packaging. Like, is that is that a tin? Like, is that a like? That is a double wall stainless steel uh, container. I'd say the most badass ice cream package in the that world. That is and awesome I, looking, know, man. Nestle spent like over a million dollars developing that thing. I mean, that's one of the crazy things is Loop has launched 300 products, and we're not talking like dinky products, like the world's biggest and best yeah. products. Um, have uh, over 300 <laughs> have been commercialized in the past year. Um, but like that Hagen Dazs container, here's the neat part is. Uh, so this is a funny sort of quintessential American story. So the average American eats ice cream in bed. That's the most that's the most common place to consume <laughs> pints of ice cream. Of course. And the average serving is, of course, the whole pint, of course. and uh, which is, by the way, over three servings. Um, and the big complaints that people you know have for eating a pint of ice cream in bed is that your hand gets cold. The yes. package gets sort of gross by the time you're finished. You know, it sort of has condensation and so on. It also melts in a funny pattern. You know, it melts from uh, the outside in, right? And you get sort of a ball of ice cream and ice cream soup, and you have all these weird issues. This container, the one you're looking at for Haagen-Dazs, is made from two layers of stainless steel, so it has some insulation value, and so it melts slower. It, uh, you can, on the outside, it's uh, 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 warm to the touch, like room temperature, while the inside is, uh, uh, stays frozen. It melts from the top down, which is the perfect melting pattern, not the outside in. It, what else? It, uh, uh, it even has an ultra-concave inside, so you can get every last scoop of ice cream out. You, know? uh, you never have that sort of uh, last little layer at the bottom because of the right angle. It has all these fundamental benefits. Have, by the way, nothing to do with reuse, but are enabled because of reuse. And the reason they're enabled because of reuse is Nestle, who owns haagen owns that package when it comes back, which means mm. they treat mm. the package like an asset, not as a cost. Wow. And because of that, they can greatly increase the investment in the in the package and allow to do the package that it could never do. Allow the, the package to do things it could never do before. Unbelievable. From a profitability standpoint, how could they say no? <laughs> I mean, it's well, like, right. I mean, it solves yeah. for them a big waste issue because today yeah. ice cream packaging, uh, in many cases, is not recyclable, and. It moves it from being not recyclable to reusable, which is a massive eco upgrade. But then it allows them to innovate in ways that have never happened before. I mean, we, when we launched wow. that thing, all the world's biggest ice cream companies reached out and being like, oh, my God, how do we uh, uh, get on this? Because we're going to be beaten by this. And uh, you'll see other ice cream launching around the world soon with, again, mega players in the category. And that's just ice cream. We're talking everything from Shell Motor Oil to... Uh, uh, Tropicana orange juice. I mean, you name it. Now, Across the board, everything. It's genius. I mean, for anybody listening, you got to go to loopstore.com. Like, so I brought up um, like the pasta and the grains, right? The penny regatta, yeah. the penny yeah. uh, rigatoni pasta. The first of all, any interior designers out there got to be looking at this because, uh, like for me as a as a consumer with like with um, uh, well, I'm more of the um, uh, quinoa pastas and whatnot. But like the quinoa, the brown rice, instead of having all these packages in my um, and they're in plastic uh, in the cupboards. I would easily put this out on my counter across the, uh, like across the countertop. You know how like a lot of times people buy like yeah. the glassware and they put the uh, the pasta in there and all this other stuff. The fact that you're even making that convenient and to interior designers that looks pretty cool. That's like you know great for staging or great for your clients. But I would easily put these across my countertop. And then the best part is is that when I'm done with it, I can actually like reorder it, put it in a bin, and then it does actually come back to me already like refilled anyway. So like it, it, you're just you serve so many different. Um, upsides that like you've literally made it nearly impossible for a downside um, mostly because you're again you're not changing um, people's minds you're enhancing them from where they're at and I <laughs> like this packaging is pretty dope man <laughs> like, well this is it I'll give you like a like a sort of thought on what emerged like we came into it this is one of the beautiful things when you when you land you know and there's a lot of luck involved as well um, on uh, on something you know like an innovation like this where we first came to it thinking about how to move from single use to multi-use from an environmental point of view and frankly we discovered the opportunity that we've just been talking about in design that was a we fell into it and we're like oh my god there's a huge breakthrough opportunity to design but we've now also realized recently that we now have a relationship with people's used products. So, for example, when you m- normally shop online, you uh, uh, know your shopping history. With Loop, we know what you returned. So there's a function on, on Loop mm. Store uh, 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 that you can click and see what's in my home real time. It's simply the difference between what you returned wow. and what you bought. But that's live what's in your home. And imagine what you can do with that data, like reverse recipe lookups, tell you when things are about to expire. And Oof. the most innovative of all is we actually spun out a division called TerraCycle Diagnostics, where we're working now with you know, one of the world's biggest diaper companies, one of the world's biggest toothbrush companies. Because you know, what do diapers and toothbrushes have to do with this is that there's certain waste streams that carry, when you're done with them, 
perfectly, uh, uh, perfect diagnosable samples. Your child's diaper carries a perfect fecal sample. And uh, it may sound gross, but you, know, you can analyze that for the microbiome and, uh, t- and then report back to you the state of your child's gut health and what allergies they may have and wow. how their diet is doing and so on. Or your toothbrush carries your saliva or your air conditioned filter carries a sample of the crud in your air, you know, and it goes on and on. And you'll see that rolling out in a, in a, in a year or two from now. But you can do so much. And it's all about just changing the perspective on something negative like waste into how it can be seen as a tremendous positive and a facilitator for things people never thought of before. Yeah, the da- I mean, you know, the data is everything and, and in the process. And, and I love that you made that easy. You know, and also I'm, for anybody, you know, listening that's thinking um, stuff like, oh, well, yes, but of course, sustainability is actually very expensive. These are the exact same prices. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. Well, that's one of the reasons it's good to partner because we work with companies who really get it. You know, um, we're so, such a fan of trying not to do everything ourselves and instead do it uh, with amazing partners who are the best in class in their respective category. I'm about to go on and order a whole bunch of stuff after we get off the, the show. There you go. Yeah. yeah. And it will be uh, going national soon. It's right now available in 10 states, but it'll be going, I think, national in a few months. And then uh, in-store is the real big play, and that's going in-store very soon. Yeah, I guess I should actually check that part out first. But, <laughs> you know. No, but I mean, it's, this is this is absolutely great. I mean, you just... Uh, and what a great name because you really like have closed the circle off. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and Thank it's at, at every single touch point. Um, it, it's, it's highly convenient, highly consumable and without all of the, um, you know, the, the downsides of what consume consumption has already completely done. So you've, you've, you've really truly narrowed that gap. This is amazing. What, what do you yeah. like? What's coming up? What do you guys have coming up right now? You know, so I think for now on Loop, it's, it's uh, well, ter- I mean, everything. It's sort of like what you asked about earlier. It's like there's just so much expansion, you know. So Loop, we're launching in six countries in the next 12 months. We have tons more products coming. I mean, it's just really sort of managing that overall uh, growth that's coming down the pipeline at the moment. So that's what we're really, really focused on and trying to do is uh, the best possible job uh, with that that we can. Are you, you know, side question, um, you know, like, for example, I'm seeing uh, like a Clorox disinfecting wipe. Um, crisp lemon with the you yes. know and in the yes. in the tin what's happening with your um you know distribution now given things like that are you know on back order <laughs> like does that do, is there anything going on in there in terms of like some of the products that you do offer um are they are, you know is that having to adjust during this kind of time um, you know, so so it, it's interesting. Like there have been some adjustments. You know, so for example, uh, those Clorox wipes are sorry, Clorox wipes are selling like crazy on Loop, way better than ever before. Right. Um, uh, uh, but net net, you know, the sales and reuse are increasing, uh, which is great to see. Uh, this month will be the best month of sales. Um, uh, you know, so that's really fantastic. We are seeing though in recycling, like uh, you know, we we are in seventy five percent of U.S. schools running TerraCycle recycling services, and there most of them are not in school, so we're seeing declines there. So I think look. You know, for, even for us, COVID will create a slowdown, uh, but there's some silver lining out there to, uh, to smile about. I'm actually signing up for access nice. <laughs> as, as we speak. <laughs> this is amazing. Tom, you're, 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 you're literally crushing it. Uh, no pun intended to like recyclables or anything. Like that, but like, <laughs> but, but uh, it's absolutely awesome what you're doing, man. And, um, you know, where, so, okay. So where can everybody find out about TerraCycle Loop? Um, socials, sure. emails, all of that stuff online so everybody can connect more on this as well as you. Absolutely. So um, if you want to learn more about TerraCycle, go to TerraCycle.com. And from there, we're in 21 countries. So you can check out uh, any other country you want to check it out in. And in Loop, uh, best place to go would be LoopStore.com. Uh, and then from there, you can uh, learn more and navigate around. Are you guys on social as well everywhere? And Yeah, all the usual. So you put in Loop or TerraCycle into all of your normal social platforms. You should be able to get in touch with us there as well. That's awesome. I, you know, I have a very loyal audience. They're, they're amazing and they're very, very community-driven, very supportive of all the different brands that come on. And this is one that like, I'd really want to watch them um, interact with even more. But, and they will. They'll ask questions. They'll be like, hey, I'm here because of Matt. Because <laughs> I, I always tell them, like, please, like, the, it, 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 basically, I, I like to look at it as we're all like a global community of brands. When you when people come on here and like we've got to help support these other innovative things that are going on especially the people that are behind them so um so thank you i i truly appreciate you being on and i can't even believe it's already been an hour uh um and i always tell people this is a journey driven podcast so you're welcome back on anytime we can tackle any other number of topics or you know even like you know three four five six months from now obviously (laughs) everything's changing daily right now but you know um some time from now um happy to tackle any other kind of topic 
Yeah, we'd love to uh, reconnect. And thank you again for your time today. It was a really fun conversation. Absolutely. Everybody that's listening, please, please go check out TerraCycle.com. Go check out LoopStore.com. Tom, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. And, uh, you know, again, uh, everybody that's listening, please reach out. Check out the packaging. Check out all the products. It's all the stuff you're already using. (laughs) So, like, I feel like I'm, I I feel like this isn't even a, this is an unofficial sponsorship. I just, I love what you guys are doing. And I I really, and I really celebrate the cause, the purpose. And And thank you, by the way, for also, you know, kind of from that conscious capitalistic approach saying like, look, we can do good. We can be very profitable and we can take care of people and we can take care of the people internally in our organization and take care of the people externally all while we're driven by a purpose. And obviously, as we continue to expand and we make more money, we can continue putting it right back into our very purpose driven efforts. I think that that sends a very, very important message uh, to the world at large and like and kind of shows people also like how see like if we if we if we cut out the noise, the external noise and we go within how much more we can actually create and do an impact. So I really, really appreciate you uh, being on the show. Well, it's real, a real pleasure being here. Look forward to uh, next time we connect. Awesome. Stay, stay, stay put for one second and we'll connect offline. But for everybody listening, please check out Tom Zaki uh, on TerraCycle, uh, loopstore.com, TerraCycle.com. Amazing, amazing um, products uh, on LoopStore. Uh, I'm going to be going to order here in a little bit. I'm not going to lie. Uh, and uh, I appreciate each and every one of you guys. As you know, thank you guys for constantly following, for constantly following up. Tell me how you feel for posting it everywhere, the show. Uh, you guys have no idea how much that means to me uh, in all these years now. And uh, lots more to come for my guest, Tom Zaki, and for myself, Matt Gosman, Hustle Sold Separately. We are out.